This world is titled The Reigning Life of a Believer. The Reigning Life of a Believer. Father Lord, I thank you for today's word. I thank you for this word that you have placed in my heart. I thank you, sweet Holy Spirit, because I know you will help me deliver this word this morning. I thank you because I know this word will bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. The reigning life of a believer. When I started and studying for today's word, I really wanted to understand what the word reign means. Do I have an idea? But since I will be sharing the word today, you know, I needed to know what it means. So according to Oxford Dictionary, the word reign means to hold royal office. Why Webster Dictionary describe it as to possess or exercise authority. You know, so with these definitions, I just felt like, okay, I think I know the direction to take. But the more I studied and meditate, the more I realized that there was something missing. And it is selflessness. The reigning life of a, of a believer, you, there's um, where office attached to it, fine, there's authority and possession of power. But there was something that is very, very, very key, is selflessness. You know, for us to understand who we are, we need to understand the nature of God. Last week when Bratoba was preaching, in my mind, I'm like, ah, he has already preached what I want to preach or what I want to share on, on Monday. In fact, I even tested them. Pastor Woods, I was like, ah, nobody is sharing my message. What am I going to do? I have to start all over again. But the more I kept listening to him, I realized that today's message is going to be like a continuation, like a part two of what he was sharing. So like I said earlier, for us to understand, you know, um, who we are, we need to understand whose we are. We need to understand who God has made us to be. We need to understand God because God is our source. And for us to understand who we are, we need to look at God's relationship with man. You know, how much, God's love, how much God loves man, how much he's passionate about man. So I'm going to take my test from the book of um, Genesis. Hallelujah. The book of Genesis chapter one. No, I, I want to start all the, um, from the beginning. It's going to take a lot of time. So I'll just start from 20. And God said, let the water tame with living creatures and let the bird fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which the water tamed and move about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, in number and, in, and fill the water in the seas and let the, bird, the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures and, that, move, that moves along the ground and the wild animal, animals, each according to its kind. And it was good. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that moves along the ground. If you're following um, this um, scripture that I read just now, you can tell that when it came, you know, when it was time to create man, 
it was a different, you know, process. With other animals, God kept speaking, but with man, there was a cancel, you know, there was a decision between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God wanted a creature that would look exactly like him. The Bible said in his likeness, that means he has to have the physical attribute of man. You know, in the, the Bible said in his image, that means he has to have the physical attribute of man. And in his likeness, you know, talked about man's nature. God didn't just want any kind of, um, any other creature just to, to take care of the animals and all that. Because he told them, if you read further, that that man, that God would create man, um, that over all the creatures that move in the earth, that means he gave them dominion at the end of the day, but it was more than that. God, God wanted to see himself in man. He wanted to look at man and see man. And the only way he can do that is to create man like him, himself using himself as inspiration. So if you read the book of Genesis 2, Genesis 2 verse 7, um, I'll be reading the New International Version. It said, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed on, into his nostril the breath of life and man became a living thing. You know, look at this scripture. You can tell that God, you know, went all the way. Like he got his hand dirty with dust. He has to carve, he has to form, he has to make man using himself as an inspiration. And when he was done with the image of man, he knew at that point that man can never, you know, be like him if man doesn't have a spirit. So he has to breathe into the spirit of man. However, he didn't breathe his own spirit into the spirit of man. But the spirit in man at that time, you know, is a spirit that was designed to carry God's spirit. You know, it got me thinking, is it that God, you know, God is an intentional God, is it that God knew all along that there will be a time when man will carry his spirit, you know? And I think, I mean, God, for me, God wasn't done with man, you know, he, was, he wasn't. So glory to God and the Bible talk about um, how, you no, know, it's not in the Bible, but if you look at what happened after, you can tell that, God comes, you know, in the cool of the day to have fellowship with man. You know, it's like he's the one doing the chasing. He comes and, you know, he's, to him, he's not just the God. This is my friend. I want to spend time with my friend. But unfortunately, um, sin came into the picture. Um, Eve was deceived by the serpent and Adam disobeyed God. So let's read um, the book of the book of Genesis 3 verse 8. Let's see what happened the effect of sin on man. Before I read, I just want to say that one of the major effects of sin on man is the fact that man couldn't see God clearly again. And that was the beginning of man's problem. The fact that man couldn't see God. You know, if we don't know who whose we are, we can never know who we are. That's how, you know, man has been wired. God is the source of man. So the moment there's a disconnection between how we see God, it will definitely affect ourselves. You know, in the book of Genesis 3 verse 8, you know, also, also expansionate on that. So let's just read book of Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You know, this is the same God, I believe, that used to come and fellowship with man. All of a sudden, his footstep is now like terror, like there's this terror is coming. Why? Because they cannot see God the way they see, you know, they used to see God. He answered, that's man. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you are naked? 
have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded not to eat? So in the moment that man could not see God, the things, for me, he has always been naked. All of a sudden, him being naked is a problem. So he affected his own mindset, his own self-esteem. And, you know, and he was filled, his eyes, you know, were covered with shame and guilt. And the moment his eyes were covered with shame and guilt, when I mean man, Eve is also part of, you know, you know this content. So he couldn't see God for who he is. And if you read further, you know, for, for, for a, lot, a long time, a lot of people felt that God was cursing man when he was saying, this, 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 this you will steal the land during the time of labor, this will happen. What God was saying is, is that, saying is that the fact that you cannot see me clearly, these are the things that will happen, you know? These are the things that will happen. You might have, you might struggle, you know, and that was the beginning of man's pain. The fact that man could not see God for who is so if you continue reading the scripture in the old testament you see, you, you see how god was misinterpreted and misunderstood even with even the close prophets that men that know you say work with god but yet they lacked something the true nature of god which is the selfless nature of god if you look at the, the old testament a lot of splendor of authority power miracles unbelievable miracles that most is i read history so a lot of historians would tell you that that's, those things are not possible like the lies just the figment of somebody's imagination but it's not this is a power but something that was lacking you know in the old testament is the true nature of god which is the selflessness of god which is the love of god the love that god has for man that is unending that can never have no end you know but guess what god wasn't angry with man the bible said in the days of ignorance god overlooked because he kept looking for a way that man will come to see him for who he is again so as i said earlier that god was misunderstood by you know even people close people that he worked with when i was younger as a young, young believer years ago so i decided to study the book i think it was Exodus. i wanted to study about moses you know and i kept reading and it was interesting how you know he left um pharaoh's palace and god called him and told him oh, you are going to be this you're going to be this. i'm going to use you mightily to, to deliver the people and i kept reading and it was great until i got to a point and what i saw is and god wanted to kill moses it didn't make sense to me and i'm like ah, what is this so i just closed my bible so the next day i went to my mom she has been a christian all my life and all that i'm like ah. i was reading the bible yesterday and i i saw and that God wants to kill, wanted to kill Moses. And her reply was like, Igabara Chukumba, meaning, will you be angry with God? You know, to her, it was true. Yes, God can decide to kill Moses, which is not the nature of God. Just show how much um, God was misunderstood. But even people that he worked with, even Elijah, Elijah, you know, in his great power, this is the man that is about to experience something great, something miraculous. You know, you'll be taken away without death. And in his last moment, he decided to, you know, cause children that's not the nature of god these men have had power they have authority they have a lot but what was lacking is you know is the true nature of god in man they could not see god for who he is totally and that is like the center of god's authority god's being selfless if you can't see God as the selfless God, you cannot be selfless. That is what it is. Like I said earlier, God is our source. And then keep going and you know, thank God for, for Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God for the birth and the death and the resurrection of Christ. You know, and Jesus came into the scene. And what he did in his ministry on earth, he just kept telling them, This this kingdom I came to prepare for you. At first, they felt, you know, he 
is going to be a political messiah because at that time the Jewish were under the rule of Roman Empire and all that. And they were so sure that ah, this man is who we have been waiting for. It has been prophesied. Even those that were learned that knows the Bible felt yes, it's politics. See, God has finally done it for us. He has called, you know, he has come in, you know, and send us the prophet that would that will defeat the Romans and restore power to, to the Jewish people at that time. But Jesus kept telling them. And the funny thing about um and their mentality, even those the learned men at that time, even Satan himself, <laughs> who was an angel with God. For me, I don't think that they knew the true nature of God. If you look at the angelic activities on, on earth, you know, for them to like, you know, carry out this mission, it shows that they also lacked the true nature of God. And devil, who felt like, okay, I heard you are the Messiah, that's himself talking to Jesus. Okay, I went to tell this man, and then he said, I will give you the kingdom. I will give you that kingdom. And I'm like, this guy doesn't even understand that God is a selfless God. Jesus did not come for himself. He did not come for the popularity and for the fame or for any political kingdom or whatever. He came to save the souls of man, you know. And then he even told him that, you know, the Bible said, if you dash your foot on the stone, he would do this. The Bible wasn't just talking about Jesus, but talking about the sons. You know, the book of Isaiah said, we no longer be called the people of God, we call the sons of God. Jesus came to represent the sons. Jesus knew that he would be duplicated at the end of the day. So it wasn't about him. So the devil could not see Jesus' mission on earth. Even to the last day, he was, you know, he died on, on the cross. The devil didn't have an idea because he didn't have an understanding of the nature of God. You know that God is powerful. Yeah, I know that God has can do anything. But that true nature of God, that selfless nature of God, he never thought that God can become a man to die for man. It didn't make sense to him, you know. But Jesus kept teaching the disciples, kept telling them that this is how the kingdom works. You know, for you to be in this kingdom, this is how it works. This is how it works. He used parable. You know, he told them the parable of the prodigal son. Just to tell them that it's the kingdom whereby if, if, if we fall, like if you look at the story of the parable of the, of the prodigal son, he asked for his father for, he asked his father to give him his inheritance, went all the way, squandered the money, you know, and then he realized that he didn't have anywhere to go. And then he came back, you know, he was asking the father, like, even if he's, just make me a servant in your house. But the father looked at him and like, no, you don't even understand who I am. You don't even know my nature. And guess what? The father decided to show him a party and all that and celebrate his coming. And the brother was confused. But what Jesus was trying to tell us is that God doesn't count you know, our wrong. That's how selfless God is. He's just passionate about man. He's just in love with man. He just loves the father. Anytime he looks at man, you know, he can see himself in man. Even Jesus also um, taught them the parable of, of um, the lost sheep. Basically, what he was trying to tell them is that even if it's just one man on earth that needed to be saved, Jesus would have come. That's how much we are, you know, we are to God. I'm talking about man generally at this point. So Christ, um, Jesus kept telling them, the disciples, the disciples about the true nature of God. He kept preparing them because he knows that he would die, fine, he would die. But if they don't have an understanding of of how the kingdom operates, they will find, they will sit in the, in the right hand of the father and yet they will not be able to exhibit, you know, the true nature of God. So he kept teaching them. So I want, uh, let's talk about, even to the last supper, he didn't stop. He kept telling them that this kingdom is a selfless kingdom. This kingdom is, is not a kingdom where one person wants to rule and then the rest have to take the bar seat. It's about serving, serving one another. 
So the last supper, something happened in the last supper. There was you no know, disputes among the disciples. And let's see what Jesus told them. Matthew 26, verse 50 to 56. Hallelujah. Matthew 26, verse 50 to 56. Okay. Jesus replied, what do you came for? Oh, sorry. Um, Luke 22, sorry, Luke 22, from 24 to 29. Okay, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Now, this is among the disciples at the last supper. Jesus was about to, you know, to die, remember. Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentile Lord is over them. And those who execute authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, be greatest among the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is the, at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table but I am among you as the one who serve. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. Basically what Jesus is trying to tell them is that, and then 29 he said, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father confirmed on me so that you may eat and drink in my table in the kingdom that is sit on throne, judging the 12th tribe of Israel. What Jesus was just trying to tell them is that you see this kingdom, yes, it's powerful, it's great, but you have to serve for you to reign, for you to, you know, exercise your true position. You have to serve you know, the next person. It's not about ranking. You know, that's the typical mentality of, of an earthly kingdom. You have the, the royals, then you have the nobles, and then the commoners, you know, and all that. We're trying to tell them that in this kingdom, there's space for everyone. Like you, you serve your brother, even if you look at the way the church is designed, you know, thank God for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You can't even serve a God without serving man, you know? So why do we need um, the choir? Is it that God cannot hear the whispering of our voice? Because of man, man is important to God. Why do we need the, you know, the ushers? Is it that we, don't, we are not matured enough to coordinate ourselves? It's about service, you know, serving the next person. That's how we reign. If we flow, you know, it has to flow from within. You know, we serve the our, our brothers and our sisters. Hallelujah. And again, Jesus kept telling, even the last day, to the last day, you know, the day when he was about, he was betrayed um, by, by one of the disciples, Judas. He kept telling them also about the same kingdom. So let's read the book of Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 50. Hallelujah. And it says, Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. And then the man stepped forward, sees Jesus and arrest him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. And the man stepped forward, sees Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached out for his word, threw it out and struck the servant of the priest, cutting off his ears. And Jesus said, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I, I cannot call my father 
and the will, and he will at once put out my dispose, dispose are more than 12 legion of angels. But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that is said was happening the way, you know, in this way? And what Jesus was trying to tell them is that that's not the nature of man. You know, the, the scripture being fulfilled is that God being a good God, you know, God not punishing us for our sin, God not being angry with man, you know. So if if he if if he has allowed the disciple to, yeah, that means we are, that means we are fighting an earthly fight, you know, you know, which most kingdoms do, you know, you touch our master, then we have to go to war. But that's not the nature of God. That's not who you know. God has made us to be. But hallelujah, thank God for the death of Jesus, you know, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible said that, we, you know, we are seated in the heavenly places, you know. So let's look at Ephesians 2, verse 6 to 9. At this point, we are, you know, we have become the sons of God. But one thing is important is that we have to work out our kingship. So let's see the position that God has given us to understand, you know, the kingdom that we are better. Ephesians 2 from 6 to 9. And God raised us, us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But we are God handwork, 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 created in Christ Jesus to do good, which God prepared in advance for us. Hallelujah. You know, God kept, you know, at this point, Jesus, the Bible is trying to describe that the position we are is a place where God's kindness is expressed, you know, in, I don't know, like there's nothing hidden, like God is not, like we can see God, but however, you know, we must know that we have to make an effort, and we have the spirit of God inside us, hallelujah, and all that, but it was, it's, it's very, very important that we must understand the nature of God, why we are seated in the in, in that seat, you know, with Christ Jesus, we need to know. You know, the Bible talks about working out our salvation, but the truth is that that scripture has been misunderstood too or misinterpreted. I remember when I was in school, but, um, in Unilag, um, I joined the fellowship in my year one, and, and I remember as a Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, strong speaking sister, but I didn't know who you know, I was in Christ because I couldn't see God clearly. And I'm supposed to be a Christian. Why? Because of the word I was being fed with. And I struggled. I remember, like I used to have, it was, it was a, um, a fellowship that, that is very, very key about making heaven. So it's like, ah, we have to make heaven. Every conversation, every teaching is about making heaven. So end of the day, I felt like you have to walk your way to heaven, you're a Christian, but you have to, you know, there are things you must do. Yes, you are safe, but remember, you need do, 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 do. every time you're checking yourself, it's like, ah, am I too hot? Am I am I cold? Am I warm? I don't want God to spit me out at the last day. And it was all about that. You got the point. I started having a series of nightmares. Like I used to dream almost every week. 
And in my dream, I would see Isabel Rapture because that's what we talk about a lot. And they, at that time, um, for some reason, there were different types of books about rapture, people who have died and went to heaven. And, you know, and those books were shared to us. And then you start reading the story about this person, why this person went to hell. It was this person, you know, she was a Christian. And this is the reason why she went to hell because she did not do this. I know for me at that point of time, I wanted to be perfect every minute, you know, in case the trumpets will sound so I can go to heaven because I want to go to heaven. And I kept struggling. The more, because my meditation and everything I did at that point as a Christian was directed towards working my way to heaven. So I started having a series of nightmares and it was really, really bad. Everything is about rapture and I will see Jesus and then Jesus will leave. It kept on and on. The next day I will feel like, oh, it's God talking to me. Maybe I need to do better. And then even when I go for evangelism, you know, it's about making heaven. There was no selflessness in my service. It just, I was doing it for me. I want to make heaven. I have to preach. I want to make heaven. I have to pray. I want to make heaven and all that. To me, I saw God as a user, first of all, because I felt that you can do all this for God. And at the end of the day, God would dump you and say, not do this particular one well. So I couldn't see God. Though I was a Christian. I, you know, I spoke in tongues and all that. So one day I was in my room, you know, I was alone in my room and some group of, you know, believers, they came to preach. I didn't tell them I was a Christian at that time. I just kept quiet and you know, just to encourage them. And they kept preaching. I, I can't remember what they, you know, what they shared, but by the time they left, they left and then I was alone. One of them came back and then they said, ah, I don't know, but about, I was about leaving. And the Spirit of God said, I should tell you this. And then she said, if the father is about to leave, he's in a hurry, gets into the car and is about to leave. And then he looks at his very mirror or something, and then he sees his child holding on to that car. He will never leave. He will never leave. Like he will stop and then go check on the child. And that was when that nightmare stopped for me. I started saying God differently, that God is not a user. God did not bring us, you know, into his kingdom to use us and then dump us, you know. Then my mentality, you know, changed. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. And so this morning, I want us, I just want to remind us of who we are. You know, this is our season of overflow, who God is and who he has made us, you know. If you're not careful, you might have, when you, wish, uh, you, know, you look at the picture of the overflow, it seems like it's all about you, like God is just pouring and pouring and pouring and then it's flowing. You know, God doesn't waste resources, hallelujah. The meaning is that he, has, he will pour, you know, pour himself and his glory and everything on you. You're supposed to flow within Hallelujah. And then bless the next person. That's, you know, for me, that's a picture of the overflow. It flows within us. And then we bless the next person. Bible says, after our belly shall flow, leave us of living water. You know, it's supposed to bless the next person. It's not the place where it's all about us. Hallelujah. And I pray that God will help us in the name of Jesus as we reign in this kingdom, as we we decide on you know to make ourselves you know available for God, you know to see man the way God sees us. Now I'm not about believe among ourselves believer. God loved the world. That was the Bible saying. So we begin to see man, you know, through the eyes of God. You know, we have to go for man, just like the way um, the disciples, the followers of Jesus did at the day of Pentecost. 
after the Pentecost, they went for man. You know, at that point, the spirit of man was able to carry the spirit of God. Hallelujah. Thank God for Pentecost for the day of, for the day of Pentecost. And at that point, their mindsets changed. These are men who, men who wanted to even kill the soldiers. They realized that the soldiers are not our problem. Our problem is the soul of man. We have to win. There's enough space at the right hand of the Father. They became selfless. They went all the way. Their whole ministry, their whole mission on earth was about, you know, about man. You know, we know the story about how most of them ended and how they died, you know, but they didn't care. It was about man. They became selfless like God. And I pray that God will help us in this season to be selfless the way our Father is selfless, to reign, you know, in that selfless nature of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Father Lord, I thank you for today's word. I thank you because I know, I know, you know, that this is your word for the season. And I thank you because from this moment, even we'll begin to express your true nature, the true nature you have placed inside us, that we will express it. will be a blessing to the next person. will be a blessing to our brothers, our sisters, even to mankind at large. We will see man the way we see you. We will reign in our true nature, which is selflessness in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful day.